So we are going into the first true offseason from football, the first true offseason week. I am very sad. Uh, this is blue, by the way, um, because the 49ers did not win the Super Bowl and they didn't win the Super Bowl in heartbreaking fashion. Uh, that's all you're going to get to that update. We'll talk more about it at a later date. Um, that being said, I want to ask Jeff, what are your thoughts of the first true uh, week of offseason? And uh, what have you been up to? What are you looking forward to? So I am I'm enjoying a non-football weekend at a uh, tabletop RPG convention, which is also right next to an H Mart. So uh, doing some dice rolling, went and got some chicken. I bought a ton of noodles and some various fermented products. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'm I'm thinking is taking advantage of the time to do some other stuff. I'm going to ask you a question. What is the tabletop game you're going to try at this convention that you haven't played before? So there will be a couple that I will try for the first time. Uh, one is a kind of rules light RPG involving um, pirates and I and a little bit of horror. And I am looking forward to that. All right, we'll talk about that some more. LSU guest, we're joined today by an LSU guest. If you could walk me through, what do you think about the offseason that we've had thus far since it's been about a week since the offseason started? Uh, off season? What, what, what off season are you talking about? We're like six weeks into the season already. Oh, you're talking football. Wait, wait what oh, season I'm are you sorry. talking about? Um, sorry. Oh. I've been very invested in a different uh, season. I've been invested in the LSU gymnastics season. Well, in the general gymnastics season. I watched um, on Super Bowl Sunday. I was up in Shreveport watching four. T- I was watching Centenary and three other teams uh, in a meet. And then I watched the Super Bowl. And that was the highlight of the day. Not, not well. The result of the Super Bowl was definitely a highlight as a Saints fan. Um, hi, Blue. Yeah, that's fine. It's fine. That's it's fine. fine. Old rivalries die hard, even though I'm not. They do technically old enough to even know about that kind of rivalry. Um, the 2011 <laughs> NFC Championship, okay. NFC Divisional Round game will never not live that live in my mind as a moment of. Uh, yeah, so Jim Harbaugh is a good coach, and he called QB sweep off the weak side, and it went for a touchdown. So that was not the play. I good was job, Alex Smith. Of. I was thinking of the catch. I know it wasn't. I know. I was thinking of Alex Smith going off. All I'm tight saying end. is, Saints don't turn the ball over five <laughs> times in the first half. Maybe they're not in this situation. Teams don't deserve to win games. Maybe if they turn the ball over five times. Correct, uh, Vernon Davis. Great job. I miss you. Um, so I, I want to ask because. UFL is coming up. We have the XFL and the USFL. They have decided to merge a la the NFL and the AFL of the 70s. Are you looking forward to any UFL at all, Jeff? Will you be watching it? I'll be watching a little bit. I say it's always good to have more football. It's also good to have more opportunities for a lot of these players to play after college, potentially impress, get on an NFL roster. I think having a built-out pyramid in most sports is very good. Just there's more of that sport. There's more opportunities professionally and you know, covering the sport as well for, for journalism that, you know, there's, you need more, we need more journalism in this world in general. So having those more opportunities throughout the pyramid and for every part of the infrastructure of the sport is good. I think you're right. Relegate the Chiefs and the uh, Seahawks both to the US UFL. That'd be great. Uh, LSU guest, I, I don't know if you watch any spring football, but are you interested in UFL in any meaningful capacity? Define interested. Um, 
I'll watch it. It'll be on its sports on TV. Wow, that's all I needed. Boom. Uh, it's football on TV. Fine, I'll put it on, but I'm not going to like get invested in it. Not the least of which is because they got rid of the New Orleans team. Like, okay, if the New Orleans Breakers were in it, maybe I'd be invested. You stole sure. them from me. You destroyed them. You hurt my feelings. I don't know how to feel about that. But then again, The Rock being a heel and uh, destroying something that people liked. Wow, what a shocker. He was such a heel. I know that. I don't know if either one of you is old enough to remember the heyday of him and Stone Cold Steve was? Austin going back and forth. But uh, he's a hero now. He's no well, longer a hero. Uh, he, uh, he's a face now. If, if, you, if you've been hearing the new following WWE recently, the Rocky Sucks chants are back. Yeah, I haven't watched any wrestling programming since I was in elementary school and I didn't see the interest in it then. Uh, my cousins were big into it. I was not. Uh, that was when it was still called WWF. So that's great. Uh, Jeff, I do. And I know you're at this convention. I want to pull on this a little more. OK, because we keep threatening. I keep threatening that I'm going to do a D&D style thing on this where we 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 assign jobs and multi-classes to various uh, schools and such. <laughs> Walk me through your D&D build. And LSU guests, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do the same if you're interested. And by interested, I mean willing to or have done so in the past. But Jeff, what is your, I, your character and how are they built? I have multiple. Let, give so, me okay, I'll, give, I'll give you the Pathfinder one that I've got because it's very funny. Um, do you know the song... Uh, Barry's Privateers. Yes, I do. Okay. That guy. I, I have made a, a bard who is that guy in a pirate-themed Pathfinder campaign um, that also, anytime that like I have to miss a session, we just RP that he's blackout drunk and the rest of the party just drag me somewhere. Um, and got to... I have a lot of bard spells that I have now built around... Um, some just practically, and then a bunch of them are like ridiculous and related to alcohol, including I can turn water into very cheap uh, rum, which is fun, which I've used to like make aquatic creatures drunk and screw up gelatinous oozes and stuff like that. So it's a very fun little feature. Um, and then kind of I can blow just a noxious cloud. Uh, so. A lot of fun. Bards are also tend to be fun to play. Just kind of agents of chaos and other bardic things. If you're a player of uh, D&D or other RPGs, you know what I'm talking about when I say bardic things. So I'm going to ask this. And this is the scientist to me. What is the water content of it of a gelatinous ooze? I'm a bit deep in thought here. I have always assumed it's something like jello or another aspic where it's just ah okay and so if you have like an alcohol it starts to kind of dissolve it and and mess Fair. with the, the the chemical structure of um that kind of set gelatin time to set another jello shot record lsu i have faith in you <laughs> lsu guess though do you play any board games let me no. start with that question okay do you enjoy D&D? 
look, if I wanted to mess around with the score sheet, I'd go and wrote to nationals.com. I understand completely. I uh, I am not a D&D player, so LSU guest, I get it. Uh, but I do play video games, and I've been playing Baldur's Gate 3. Um, my character is a wizard. Uh, they are a highly learned sage wizard who spent all of their time uh, studying, and they are an abjuration wizard. Um, so that was what I went with. That's just how it goes sometimes. LSU guest, I do want to ask you a question, though, because... You said it was six weeks into the gymnastic season. How long is a gymnastic season? Like 12. Uh, well, okay. So when you say how long is it? So it gets kind of weird. Regular season. So if the regular season is about 12 weeks long, um, but not every team is going to compete the same number of meets just for various reasons. Um, so, for example, Alaska is a great example of a team that doesn't do everything normally. Um, because they're in Alaska, and I should have specified Alaska Anchorage, um, Alaska tends to be the term used to refer to Alaska Fairbanks, and I don't want to disrespect Alaska Fairbanks. They have the cool hockey video. Um, <laughs> but what they do is they tend to do on, they do double meet weekends, and they'll do that alternating every single, uh, and they'll do that every other week. So, They'll, when they travel, they'll do two meets in three days, usually on like a Friday and a Sunday. They'll go back up to Anchorage. They'll take a week off. They'll go back to the uh, lower 48 and they'll do that again. And then they'll go back up, uh, take off some time. Uh, it, it's just, you know, that's a logistical thing. Uh, some teams just don't do more for other reasons that I don't understand, but it's their decision and they're allowed to make them. I think you're right. And I, uh, I think that's going to be our cold open. And so welcome, welcome, welcome to the week three offseason in February episode of Feed Your Mascot. My name is Blue, and I'm joined this week by Jeff, who is on the road again. And when you see me, he'll be on the road again. Jeff, how are you doing this week? I am doing good, as mentioned in the cold open at a, at a convention after kind of down week from, uh, from football. So just kind of doing well. Thank you for checking up on me, Jeff. I really appreciate it uh, after the game. Um, which hockey sweater are you wearing this week? I am. This is from geekysweaters.com. It is Miskatonic University. Miskatonic. Could you walk me through what that is really quickly? That is a fictional uh, university in the kind of lore of H.P. Lovecraft. Awesome. And and they play hockey, apparently. They they can in your own head canon, which mine mine has that they yeah play all sorts of sports. So I love it. Go Miskatonic. In our third chair today, joining us is a writer, columnist, gymnastics evangelist, 
journalist, LSU Tiger, and one of the members of the Moon Crew Discord, host of the Chalk Talk podcast, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories of the gymnasts themselves, Ben Schluter. How are you doing this weekend? I am doing quite well. So does Miskatonic um, happen to have as one of the colors there, uh, the color that was discovered, the discovered color from the Lovecraftian stories? This is one of the uh, Lovecraft things I actually know, by the way. <laughs> color out of space. Uh, no, because you can't really put that on jerseys or shirts or sweatshirts or anything. And also, uh, y'all had to kill you. Yeah, I don't know the lore of how that works in the Lovecraftian <laughs> world, but uh, I don't want that if that's what it does. Um, we're going to get to know we're going to get to know Ben a little bit better. So we're going to ask him a couple of questions that we ask all of our guests. And Ben, I'm going to guess here, but what is your fandom? So it is mostly LSU, but since starting the series, um, it has ballooned into some other extremely random teams from across the country um, and also like from nearby, like, I mean, centenary, obviously, because they're in state and I might as well, um, but like Rhode Island College, that was the first, um, my first interview was with Rhode Island College. And so, of course, I have a soft spot for them. Uh, Eastern Michigan, just because one of my guests from Eastern Michigan, her name is El Shamati. Um, we have like a really nice relationship that we've kept up since. Um you know, teams like that, Nebraska is my Big Ten team just because, uh, well, frankly, they were like, one, the first one I talked to, and two, they're awesome, and three, I have a friend from Nebraska, so I was kind of sort of leaning that way anyway. Um, but yeah, it's just, it, it's gotten to be less, it, it's LSU, yes, and also other teams. I would like to see you guys do well. Absolutely. Our next question we want to ask you what is a random or unknown factoid about yourself that you're willing to share with us and our audience? So, so this one is a bit odd. So last year I managed to get an error corrected at the 2023 national uh, gymnastics women's gymnastics championships uh, in Fort Worth. Um, to explain this, uh, I have a really hard to pronounce last name. Name. Uh, this can be a problem sometimes. I'm not the only one. Uh, one of the members of the LSU team has a name whose name is consistently mispronounced. Her name is Elena Arenas, but sometimes people want to try and get the same. It's the lemon demon problem, as I like to call it. You want to try and get those vowels consistent, even though they're not. So that was catching the uh, PA announcer, and he said her name wrong. Um, which was something I didn't want to have happen because I'm huge into getting people's names right. I'm huge into making sure that you're respected, and especially on such a large stage like that. And he had gotten it wrong at the um, the semifinal. And I had corrected whatever the pronunciation guide was, but maybe they just hadn't printed that. Um, so I, on the day of the national championship, I was talking to a photographer friend. Uh, that I had made there. And he had said like, yeah, no, this is a normal thing for them. They'll get names wrong and it'll just never get changed. And I was determined to prove him wrong. So what that day, I made sure to text the person with LSU, hey, make sure that the uh, public address announcer when he's doing the introductions gets her name right. It's like important to get it right. And it ended up happening. 
And I felt really good about that just because like, hey, someone got the respect that they deserve, even if it's really small. I think that's really awesome. And I do think it's very important that when you address people, you address them in the manner they wish to be addressed. So good on you and good work there. I wanted to ask you this. What is your favorite obscure rule? Oh, buddy. Um, ooh. So if I had to... So I realized when coming up with this that in order to explain the obscure rule, I almost had to explain like the entire sport just so that the rule made any sense. So I'm going to explain what the rule is and then maybe once we get into the actual like you know, conversation about how things work, I it'll make more sense why this rule is my favorite. So the rule is the tiebreaker rule that the NCAA uses in the postseason when two teams tie and they are trying to advance them out of a round. Um, and in order to do that, you have to go beyond the normal score, is the way I'll put it. Um, normal counting score in each rotation for that... Uh, tiebreaker you take that six score and you add it back in and whoever's the highest score among the tied teams after that advances awesome so let's backtrack that you said you also had to explain how the okay. sport is scored can you give us a sure shortened thing. version uh, of it, maybe how that would lead to a tiebreaker situation? sure thing it uh so you start, so there are four events. Um, there's vaults, there's bars, there's beam, there's floor. If you've watched at the Olympics, it's the same thing. They didn't add anything, luckily. Um, and on each event, a team will put up up to six gymnasts, um, and only the top five scores will count. So um, let's say someone falls. That's completely fine. You can just drop that score if the other five routines are really good. It's a great thing. I love it personally. Um, and so you do that on one event and you get an event score and then you do that on the other events and then that's how you come up with a final score. And so with the tiebreaker, that drop score then gets added in. So if you fall and the other team didn't fall, it ends up hurting you. And that's actually what happened to LSU last year. Um, that's how they got to the, um, national semifinals was they tied with Michigan, but Michigan fell twice and LSU didn't fall at all. And so, boom, they advanced. Awesome stuff there. Thank you for making it clear for the audience. We're going to give an idea of what we're talking about today. Our appetizer, we're actually going to talk about those college gymnastics. And we're going to have some questions that we hope... Our, uh, our our guest here can answer for us. Then we're going to jump into the main course, HBCU Gymnastics, two new programs in the last three years. They're out there making hay and making making good moves and high scores. And then finally, we're going to talk about our dessert, which is a video game trailer dropped. And so we're going to get into it and have that conversation. I'm going to turn it over to Jeff. Get us started here with our appetizer so that we can kind of get an idea of what's going on in the world of college gymnastics. Yeah, so I know you talked about a little bit on how kind of scoring and, and within a meet kind of works. How does overall kind of the organization of the sport, particularly within the like NCAA division structure, um, work? So it's interesting you mentioned the NCAA division structure. The official name 
if you want to look at the full name of the NCAA's Women's Gymnastics Championship, is the NCAA National Collegiate Women's Gymnastics Championship. The division is National Collegiate. That means there are no divisions, in fact. So any team of the 85 or 85-86 NCAA teams are eligible. And so you could be a D2 team and make regionals. Not only can that happen, it has happened. In 2019, the last uh, two Division II teams actually made it in. Lindenwood made it in, and Texas Women's made it in. There were uh, Lindenwood's now D1. Um, they're a story I can get into later because um, they will not exist next year as a team. But um, Texas Women's will. Uh, they were both D2 teams, and they both made it in because they qualified because they had the, the good enough scores to do it. Um, however, there are organizations that function like a D2 and a D3. USA Gymnastics is the overarching um, governing body of the sport. They have a collegiate championship. That championship is for any team that has a maximum of eight scholarships. So uh, the normal amount of scholarships is 12. You only can have eight. So you got uh, Air Forces in there because they don't technically have scholarships. Uh, you got Browns there. They don't have any scholarships. And then you have some, all the D2 teams are there. There's one D3 team, Centenary, and then a couple of like bona fide D1s that just have fewer scholarships. Um, and then there's a D3. That's the NCGA, um, which is the National Collegiate Gymnastics Association. Uh, they exist because frankly, there was an organization that was providing that kind of thing and they just stopped doing it and they stepped up to do it. Um, so that one is split into two main regions. You have the Western region, that's teams in Wisconsin and Minnesota, and the Eastern region, which is in the Northeast area, that's where you find teams in New York. Uh, there's a team in Massachusetts, a team in Rhode Island. Um, and there might be one other state that I'm, yeah, I think there's one other state I'm missing, but I don't remember. There is, Pennsylvania. Uh, but yeah. So that's really how the organizational structure is. Okay, that's honestly it's really interesting. That's very different than a lot of other sports um, within NCAA. And speaking of how it's kind of different in some other ways, meets are they all one on one? Are they kind of big multi team meets? Some mix of both. How how does all that work? So meets are there. It's it's very interesting. It's very interesting when you think about a meet. Um, because I mentioned that I went to uh, I I don't know if I mentioned this specifically. I went to a quad meet on Super Bowl Sunday. Well, two days prior on Friday, I went to a tri meet. So the quad meet has four teams. You can have a tri meet that has three teams. You can go to a dual meet that has two teams. But it can get bigger. Like. There are meets with five teams. There are meets with six teams. There are meets with seven teams and eight teams. And the Big Ten does 10 teams, but they're not all in the same session. Um, the biggest you'll see is the MAC championship is a seven-team meet. Um, well, actually, no. Excuse me. The WIAC, Wisconsin Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, that's one of the D D3 conferences, uh, they do an eight-team meet where, yeah, four teams are on by, four teams are on. Um, and the format will differ only, only if it's between a dual meet and the rest of them. And it's because of where you start. Um, everything else is roughly the same. When you say when you start, is that essentially the which team is starting on on which event or element? Yeah, event. Um, 
Absolutely. Um, so in a dual meet, what you'll have is the home team or whoever's designated the home team. Because sometimes they'll do neutral dual meets. Um, but let's take let's take last night's meet that I went to, which was LSU versus Auburn. LSU went in the Olympic order. The Olympic order is vault, then bars, then beam, and then finally floor. In a dual meet, the road team will alternate. We'll do a different uh, thing. They will start on bars, then they'll move to vault, then they'll move to floor, then they will move to beam. Only in a dual meet does this happen. In the rest of them, you will rotate in Olympic order, but you may but you won't start on the same event. So let's take, for example, uh, the quad meet. You're going to have one team that starts on vault, and that'll probably be the home team, and they'll go in the Olympic order. If you start on bars in the Olympic order, you go to floor, and your final event after floor, you'll go to vault because you haven't hit it yet. If you start on beam, your final event will be bars. If you start on floor, your final event will be beam. So it's kind of, it's like a circle, and um, it's pretty simple to figure out where you're going to go next just because there's an order to it. It's, a, it's quite nice, actually. I have a question. Are there judges for each event, or is it just one pool of judges there that judge are, everything? So in the regular season, every single event will have two judges, one on each side of the event. Um, the point of that is to make sure that one judge will catch something that maybe the other judge just didn't see. Um, and what you do is each judge will score the routine, and then they'll show the scores and the start value. Um, and if it's within a certain range, and that's a bit more complicated, so I won't go into what the range is, but just know there is a range. Um, and if it's within range, then boom, you take the score. And if there is an issue, they can come together, they can talk, they can uh, see, okay, well, what did I screw up here? Or what did you see that I didn't? And once that happens, they can fix the score and then boom. Do those things take way too long? Yes. And they are especially common in uh, meets at lower levels just because of um, falls, for example, or uh, missed skills, which just are unfortunately more common at lower levels like D2, D3. Okay, and when we're talking as well with the athletes, is it everybody does every event? Or is it a, we know we've got this person that's great at bars, we'll have them just do bars, and we've got someone else that's really good at vault, have them just do vault, yes. things like that. Um, you are speaking of a thing that has a name. There's the all-arounder is someone who just does all four events. They go all around the events. And then you have specialists. Um and those are, some people are three event specialists where there's just one event they don't do. Some are two event specialists and some are just one event specialist. And it depends on how your team can construct a roster. Um, some teams just frankly can't get the resources to get uh, enough people for that. Some teams just don't do it. Um, Oklahoma is really weird. Like they've run four all-arounders this year and only had a handful of specialists. But in previous years, they've run like one or two all-arounders. It's all a strategy thing, you know, figuring out what's going to work best for you to get the scores that you want so that you can win or actually winning isn't the most important thing, put up a good score. Yeah. I know Oklahoma is one of the big kind of traditional powers. What are some, what are some of the other ones if, if we're thinking 
kind of those sorts of teams. I know you specifically mentioned Oklahoma and their roster construction and them having a lot of resources means they're more flexible. But who who are kind of the other other teams in that kind of tier? So you say traditional power, and it's actually kind of funny. Oklahoma isn't really if we are going to talk about traditional, meaning more than ten years. Oklahoma isn't a traditional power. Their rise is very recent. They have six national championships, but they won their first in 2014. Um, If you want to talk traditional powers in the long-term history of the sport, Georgia has to be at the top of the list. Um, They have the most national championships of any team in NCAA history. They have 10 national championships. However, they have not won a national championship since 2009. That was part of a five-peat from 05 to 09, where they just won the Natty every single year. And then um, their head coach retired. And you're going to actually notice this a bit. Um, Their head coach retired tends to be when a lot of teams end it. No team has ever won a national championship with a coach that was different. I'm going to try and make this make sense. Okay, got it. A school has never won a national championship with a second head coach. So it's only been, there's seven national championship winners and they've been done by seven head coaches at seven teams. It has never happened where a second head coach has won a natty. So Utah, they are a traditional power too. Uh, They've never missed nationals in their entire history of as being a program. And that stretches all the way back to their first year in the seventies. But since 1982, when the NCAA first sponsored it, they've made nationals. Think about how consistent you'd have to be. That'd be like making the College World Series every single year since the 1980s. That'd be like making the Final Four or the Elite Eight every year since the 1980s. Like, not even traditional powers like Tennessee could say that they did that uh, in women's basketball. But Utah has managed to do it. But they have not won a national championship since 1995. And it's a really weird thing. They've been this team that's had many chances to win a title, and they just haven't. UCLA. Uh, very much a team that's been famous for winning championships. They haven't won one since 2018, but they have seven natties. Uh, and they're always known for having some of the most flashy floor routines. Seriously, if you haven't seen Nia Reed's floor routine, which is a um, tribute to, uh, like, I want to get this right for Blue's sake, like the Divine Nine, um, like, please go watch it. It will absolutely... You'll lose it. You'll lose it. It's so cool. Um, other teams. Alabama, six natties, um, but they haven't won one since 2012. Florida has three natties. That was in a three-peat um, from 2013 to 15. So, Ben, I want to ask the question. Of the teams that have national championships, that was all excellent. Who is the best team who has yet to win a national championship? Well, it's unfortunately the LSU Tigers, the team that I happen to be a fan of. Um Always the bridesmaids, never the brides, it seems. Uh, Yeah, like, despite a 40-year legacy by the former head coach at LSU, she could never win one. Uh, Her name was Dee Dee Bro. Um, Like, was, like, a person that a lot of LSU people were wanting more than anything to get her national championship because of the things that she'd done to make the program exist in the first place. Like, there's some really funny stories about her just... They tried to cut the program and she didn't leave her office. They tried to change her office and she just went in anyway. Uh, And so that had never happened. LSU has the most individual national championships by a program that has never won a team national championship. They even have more than Michigan does. Um, Hmm. And yet that team Natty just the worst one 
that a lot of people have felt is 2017 LSU went on a heater had one of the, had the best semifinal performance by a team in history but they came up just short at the national championship to Oklahoma the team that everyone hates because they keep beating us um now there are some teams that are at the lower levels that I feel like should get some recognition for their dominance um if I had to go into those for the USAG level the D2 level that's Texas women's Texas women's the only college gymnastics team in the state of Texas somehow has 12 USAG natties and they won it in 2022. So it's not like these are all in the past. No, this is a recently dominant team too. And they are looking poised perhaps to win it again this year. They're very good. Uh, as for the NCGA slash D3 level, you got to look at UW lacrosse. They have 16 NCGA natties. They won like eight in a row, like an absolute tear. They, uh, they last won one in 2016, but they look really good this year too. So um, if you're going to look at D3 or D2, those are a couple of really heavy hitters that you should make sure to keep on your radar. Yeah, those are, that's really interesting on kind of the individual titles for LSU, but not the team. You, you think at some point that would link up and yeah, the, the, some of the, the non NCAA programs, Kind of interesting places to look. We know NIL has kind of changed a lot of the landscape of football. But I always have found it interesting a lot of the kind of non-football sports. There have been times where there have been athletes that have competed at, at the Olympics or similar levels in those sports where they've had to turn down endorsements to still then play in the NCAA level. How has NIL rules kind of worked within gymnastics because that was one of the sports that's very marketable um, with U.S. Olympians. But they've had the athletes have been make those kind of tough choices until kind of recently. Well, without NIL, you don't get SUNY Lee at Auburn for two years. Without NIL, you probably Jade Carey was probably going to go to Oregon State at some point, but you may not have seen that may not have happened um, because of NIL. Future Olympians can go and do NCAA gymnastics. Uh, Jordan Childs was on UCLA last year. She won a couple of natties. I got, she's amazing in so many ways as a gymnast and as a person. Um, and the reason we got to see her in NCAA is because she could still do her endorsement deals. Um, so it's been great for that. Like you get future Olympians can go there, can train using literal world, I think, some of these facilities are literally world-class. Um, like USAC once used LSU's practice facility. Why they had to use it instead of their old one is for reasons of unfortunate. Uh, I don't want to go into that, but I will say it was unfortunate reasons, but it was fortunate that a college team spent like $17 million in a practice to uh, have a practice facility. Yeah, we're, we're not talking like cheap stuff. Like these are colleges that do invest in their sport. They have the... Um, the resources not just to train but also to recover um connor mclean is at lsu she's an olympic hopeful um and part of the reason i think that she came was to you know she'd be able to have a good environment for herself mentally and have the training resources to be able to do what she needs physically so i mean it's it's awesome we get to see cool stuff that we probably never would get to see um and also, as an LSU fan, like, 
I mean, the, the top earning woman from NIL is a gymnast. It's not a women's basketball player. And, you know, Livy is... Okay, I need to say this. People will say bad things about Livy as a gymnast. And, I mean, they're false. Like, is she a superstar? No. Is she good? Yes. She's very good. She was an All-American in her freshman year. That's hard to do. And she's a consistent performer on floor right now. And, um, I don't know. I think more people should recognize her abilities beyond just being smart at marketing, which she absolutely is. She's a genius there. And I mean, that's a, that, that is a big skill that you can applaud. Like you don't look into being good at marketing. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, I was going to say, and like, also she's like a president. I think she's either, I think she's a president's list. Um, for academics because fun little thing uh gymnasts are stereotypically really good at uh academics um like just you see a lot of those teams have high um apr scores they have a lot of people that get academic honor roll nominations like it's usually a good portion of the team gets it at every single school because they dedicate so much time to it um it's 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 one of the things that just Kind of happens, and they also tend to graduate early because, uh, you know, some of them will come into college early and graduate early. A couple of the people that I know came into college early and graduated early. Very impressive stuff. I, I When I hear these ideas of these, the personal brand, um, when I was in college 20 years ago this year, we didn't have that kind of training of this is how you brand yourself. Um, we had the nascent MySpace, a thing I didn't participate in. Um, hi, Tom. I know you're really rich now, but uh, don't, don't, you weren't my friend. Um, and so it is, I think, to the benefit of anyone participating in NIL to be able to brand themselves. I do want to ask a question about people who want to watch and people, fans who want to observe. People usually get, get up for Olympics every four years. So they wait for the Olympics and it's like, gymnastics is coming in the Olympics. I got to, I got to rip this wikipedia page so i can understand why this triple axle that this person did off the beam is worth 9.25 points or what have you but how is it different to watch collegiate gymnastics versus olympic gymnastics number one it is far more hype i am dead serious now as an lsu fan uh last night so so the highest usually the highest average attendance among women's sports teams in the NCAA almost every single year is Utah women's gymnastics. It is not a women's basketball team. It is Utah women's gymnastics. They tend to bring in about 12,000 fans per meet. Not for one meet, per meet. Now, they're falling below the um, pace that LSU has. Last night, LSU had a sellout, a capacity crowd or not technically capacity, they've had higher, but a crowd of 12,740 officially for last night's meet. And that is sixth or seventh in LSU history. LSU set their attendance record, by the way, for people who have said this about, oh, Livy is the reason why. They set their record in 2018 at over 13,700. And you look at other schools in the SEC, they're bringing in thousands and thousands of people. So the first thing I say to people who watch this is it's fun. It's a really fun environment. Um, so you're definitely going to enjoy that part of it. You're going to see loud reactions. You're going to see big reactions. 
That's number one. Number two, there's a lot more opportunities for personality on floor, uh, just because like the music's going to be a lot different. It'll be a lot, it'll be a little poppier and they'll definitely do things. I don't know how to describe it. It's just different. Um, also there are more people in the Olympics. There are only three people per team and per rotation here it's six, but it's shorter. The SEC has really gotten it down as a TV product to make it so that a meet is about 90 minutes long. And ESPN has def- has uh, actually extended that over to the ACC this year. Um, typical meet's going to run you about two hours. Two hours, maybe two and a half. The quad meet I went to, that's four teams going on simultaneously. I was in and out of there, and I think I think it started at 12.30. I was out of there by three. It was nothing. It's absolutely nothing. So it's a great experience to watch it from a fan perspective for the enjoyment. However, it will not appear things are not going to be as um, difficult. Instead, the emphasis is on execution because of how the scoring works. So it's not about, oh, I need to do this super hard vault. It's, I need to do this super hard vault and land, I need to do this hard vault and land it well. Because when you're in like the SEC, those half tenths come off of um, your landings. So if you stick it, you really want to stick it. It's not about that difficulty. So some people do easier vaults that aren't worth as much because they can land them a lot easier and get higher scores as a result of it. You balance that out. It's much harder to balance that when you're watching Elite. So that is that is fascinating. And yeah, it kind of almost inspires me to uh, drive up to Muncie. I think that's technically the closest uh, to me uh, NCAA team and and check that out. Yeah, Ball State's also very good, so um, they're definitely worth checking out. Uh, they had a 198 this year. Now, whether or not that 190... Oh, boy, this... Oh, I almost forgot to bring this up. So there's one thing that is a constant issue. We hear about judging controversies of like, oh, yeah, the Russians paid somebody off in like figure skating or all that. Judging controversies in NCAA gymnastics are quite common due to a thing that has been coined as leotard bias. Basically, higher teams like your LSUs, your Utahs, your Floridas, your Alabamas, they'll get scored higher in general just because of their reputation. There's reputational scoring. It's human nature. Um, It happens and everyone hates it. Everybody hates it. Even the teams that get benefited from it. Like, they don't feel good about it because, you know, they want to get rewarded fairly, not unfairly. This year, though, we had a meet where a bunch of small teams got that kind of judging to the nth degree. Ball State went 198.025. They have never gone 197 in their program history. They've still never had a score in the 197s, and they went 198. There were tens being thrown out for routines that were far from perfect, like had clear issues there that anyone who's watching is like, that didn't look good. But unfortunately, that happened. Um... And it really sucks that that happens, but it's a fact of life that as a gym fan, I've come to understand and just have to walk through it. And especially as this year's most overscored team, uh, LSU, uh, it's unfortunate that we had to get that moniker. But you know what? As I've said recently, bank error in your favor, collect $200. I'm not going to complain about how I got that bank error in my favor, (laughs) but I am going to collect my $200. I'll remember that in our next game of Monopoly. 
Jeff, uh, I'm going to give you one last opportunity. Any final questions you want to pose for the for the appetizer so we can get into the main course? I think it is a uh, good opportunity to move forward. I think you're right. We've got something I'd like to talk to Ben about. Is why I brought him on. Uh, HBCUs are getting in on the action for gymnastics this year. We've got two new programs in the last couple of years, specifically Talladega College and Fisk University. Both of these two schools are some of the premier HBCUs in the state that they're in. Everybody has heard of Talladega, mostly because they go by the, the, the moniker Dega and their 400-piece marching band. But their new program of gymnastics has started to make waves with some of the highest scores that have been seen by HBCU participants. And then Fisk University is one of the mainstays on the HBCU world. So we brought in Ben today to kind of have that conversation of how are these new programs doing? How did they come to want to start those programs? And what are the differences between some of them? We'll break this out one piece at a time, but let's start with the newest program, Talladega College. What do they look like? And uh, have you had an opportunity to talk so, to any of the um, So, yes. Uh, so as part of my series, um, I talked to what Chalk Talk is, and I don't know if I've actually gotten a chance to explain it, so I might as well do that. I, I talk to the gyms themselves, and I reach out to each program, and so... For Talladega, Talladega was actually in Shreveport um, over that weekend. So they were competing in both meets. And so I wanted to get one of their gymnasts. I ended up getting Jamelia Duffus. Uh, Jamelia is a Jamaican former elite, actually. Uh, she's got a quite interesting little backstory there. Um, but for Talladega and Fisk, Fisk as well. So there's a an organization called Brown Girls Do Gymnastics. Um, and it has been around for a while, and their main goal has been to start a gymnastics program at an HBCU. Now, they've first uh, their first main success was getting NCANT to start acrobatics and tumbling, which is kind of like gymnastics, but isn't actually gymnastics, but it's gymnastics adjacent, and it was big because no other, like, it was the first D1 HBCU to do that. Um, and they had wanted to try and get a team like maybe Grambling or NCANT was another one. They might have looked at like Hampton because they wanted to look at a big name, bigger money, a team that was in an area that could support it. Um, but they couldn't get an NCAA team for I don't know what reason because I wasn't there in the meetings. But they got Fisk first and Talladega was second. Now, Talladega is in their first season right now. They have been doing things differently than what Fisk did in their first season, and that's why they've had some more historic moments this year. So when I went to the meet on Friday, Talladega won it. They beat Alaska Anchorage, and they beat Centenary. No HBCU had ever won a meet before. They never won a full meet title. The only wins that HBCUs had ever had were in Fisk's first season, they beat Ursinus, a D3 team, twice. But those were in like bigger meets where... There were other teams that, you know, were bona fide D1s. And uh, then Fisk beat Talladega. So, you know, the it's like, you know, the older sibling beating on the younger sibling. It's not really that much comparison. And then uh, Talladega beat Winona State, which is another D3 school. But this was a bona fide victory over, even though Alaska Anchorage is D2 in most sports, they're D1 in gymnastics. They got full scholarships. Like, they're trying their best. And even though they may not do so well, they still are like a legit program and Talladega beat them. They beat a, like being there for that was so awesome. It was an amazing experience. Uh, Kirsten Johnson uh, became the first HBCU gymnast to win an all around title in a meet too. Um, 
big deal because if you win the all-around title, that means you were the best overall gymnast pretty much. Um, so yeah, they've been doing pretty well. They are currently on a bit of a break. Um, we're recording this on the day that Talladega is going to have a home intra squad. They're going to split off into two teams of their own team, but they're hosting it at home. Uh, it's going to be on HBCU plus, uh, hopefully they'll have an archive somewhere that people can go watch it. Um, but yeah, so I hope that I, I think I might have accidentally gone off on a tangent, uh, cause I realized I may have forgotten your question. Yeah, so we'll, we'll take a step back for, for a moment. And, and what I'm asking specifically is, how are they doing this season? So this is year one for Talladega. You just kind of kind of went over it, like how they've been doing. They got their first win. I, that really kind of set the stage for me going into the older program, which is Fisk University, which is an HBCU in Tennessee. How is their second season going? And what challenges are unique to Fisk as they've done it? So one thing about Fisk that's been interesting is who they got on their first team. They got a five-star recruit. Morgan Price is the younger sister of Arkansas gymnast Frankie Price. She was a five-star recruit to Arkansas. She was going to go reunite. She was going to, you know, compete with her sister. Fisk comes around and she decides instead to be part of the first HBCU gymnastics team. She is not the only person. I didn't talk to her. I talked to Aaliyah Reed Hammond. Um, and she told me that she contacted Fisk before they even had a head coach. When they announced that they were going to be the first HBCU gymnastics team, she had been thinking, okay, I might do track because she holds some school records in track. She's really good. She's a really good athlete in general um, and an awesome person, I should add, from our conversation. She's absolutely amazing. Um, but she wanted to be a part of that legacy. And so Morgan has basically been the face of them. And she's been the one that's been getting every really big high score. Aaliyah was the first uh, HBCU gymnast to get over a 9-9, which was a 9-9-2-5, a record that uh, was good for their, that was on beam, which was going well for the record until Morgan went and did a 9-9-5 that I showed blue. And um, that thing could have gone 10 in, in the SEC. It could have gone 10. Like if she were at Arkansas and that happened at Arkansas, that could have gone 10 with very little actual, like, complaints from anybody. Um, but other than that, they're, do they're doing okay, but they're not, they're not, they're not, like, up there with the D1s. They're, they're a USAC, middle USAC team. Like, they're growing. They're in the mid-60s out of every single team's ranked. They're in the mid-60s out of 87 teams in the country. Um, so they're doing fine, and the way they work is because both Talladega and Fisk are NAIA, they're not eligible for the NCAA championships, but USAC said that they are eligible to send individuals. I don't know if they're, I don't believe they're allowed to send their teams, but they are allowed to send individual gymnasts to compete for individual national championships, um, which is very nice. I like that. No, I think that's excellent. I, I do kind of want to point, point out for a few folks you know, Fisk University is really one of the premier institutions. So what you mentioned earlier, they're looking for this big name. Fisk has been teaching students since right after emancipation. So you have all these newly freed men and women, and they were looking to start a school. And they found an old fort that was used by the Union in Tennessee and said, we're going to put our school there. It's to the point that the second African-American to receive his Ph.D. in physics went to Fisk. 
Um, and that's Dr. Elmer Imes. He got his degree in physics from Fisk University, and then he went to the University of Michigan and got his PhD um, around the turn of the 20th century. Uh, so he actually came back to Fisk and started the physics program at Fisk. Um, and uh, my one of my professors at Norfolk State University is an alumni of that physics program. So Fisk has had a long history for me personally. And as you can see, all of the HBCUs come together in a, in a very, very strong web. So for me, it's excellent to see these programs burgeon and particularly to see them getting the talent that they're able to get. I, I do want to ask another question. And I, I'm stealing a lot of Jeff's questions, so I'm studying off. Jeff's <laughs> no, no worries. If you could <laughs> no, no worries. I, I type these things up, and it's whoever uh, gets the chance to actually ask them. So as long as they get asked. No, absolutely. And I, and I want to ask Ben this question: What is it like to spin up a new program, and what are the unique challenges from a large school? To one of these, these two, and I want to be very clear about these two HBCUs, they are small schools. They are small private schools with under 1,500 students apiece. What are those different challenges for these institutions versus some so, of the larger ones? So there's an easy way to explain this because this year just so happens to see the uh, start of a new huge program. Clemson added gymnastics this year. Um, they did this, uh, if y'all may remember that Clemson got sued by athletes when they tried to cut some sports. And so they reversed course and they added three sports. Uh, they added softball and softball has gone extremely well for them to the point where they're probably going to need to expand their stadium soon because they're selling it out too much. Um, they started women's lacrosse and it's actually going well for them. And they started women's gymnastics, a sport that they're probably going to be top five in attendance in in their first season because of course they are. Logic doesn't, it doesn't matter. Gymnastics is awesome and people recognize it. For hey, hey folks, there is demand for women's sports. <laughs> Okay, I will, okay, yes, there is Lindenwood. I specifically speak about them because you've decided to make the opposite decision of starting a team. Huh. Uh, the, the challenges of starting a team, number one, are money. You need to have money in order to do this. Gymnastics is not a cheap sport. In fact, it's one of the most expensive sports you can start. If you want to look at uh, any NCAA report by a team that has gymnastics, you'll see it's near the bottom when it comes to like how much money it brings in. You spend a lot of money because you need to have equipment. You need to have um, facilities. You need to pay trainers in order to help the people who are, uh, the joke I tend to use is they are the SpongeBob character with glass bones and paper skin. Um, if you hear a gymnast tell you that their shoulder is sore, you should translate that to mean I'm dying in your normal pain tolerance. Uh, and you need to have people to help them. And then you need a facility. You need a place to train. You can either build that on campus, which is what uh, Clemson did, or you can go off campus. Um, Utica, the third program that started this year, they just so happened to have a gym to train at down the street. Um, so they just go there. Uh, Clemson built their own facility. Talladega goes about an hour. They have to try, drive about an hour off campus to get there because, uh, Blue, you probably know better than I do, isn't Talladega just the Speedway, the university, and about nothing else? That is correct. So Talladega County, which is where Talladega, the city, is located in Alabama, is really in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's about as far from things as a place can be. Um, that is pretty common with HBCUs in general. Uh, they tend to be in places that people don't want to be in and people don't 
have a way to get to. Um, so that that is a part of the nature of seeking them out for their educational purposes. Um, there's other aspects to this. Um, uh, to to kind of Ben's point, you do have HBCUs like say Southern. Southern was originally in New Orleans. Uh, and then moved from New Orleans up to Baton Rouge, so it was always in a major population center of some kind. Howard University, one of my alma maters, is in the capital of our great republic and is very easy to get to. It's right on the subway. I was going to say, it has its own station. It has its own station. Uh, UDC, the other HBCU, the only land grant in Washington, also has a, a, a metro station. So there are examples where... Fisk is actually a really good example. Um, Fisk, but, they only... Because they are there. Because I was talking with Aaliyah, and um, she said that their training facility is about seven minutes away. So they're because they're located in Nashville, so they have a much easier time of doing that. Um, the only other school that I can think of off the top of my head, based on who I've talked to, that has about the same travel time issue is LIU. Long Island University is an absolute mess of a school, and frankly, is far beyond the reach of this. But let's just say, yeah, I don't know why the heck they have a team. I have to be honest here. I don't know how they have a team with the whole money situation. They've had some interesting. If you look at their transfer situation, they've had a lot of them. They've had very many of them. And so, and that's an example of one of the challenges of starting one, just money. It's having a place to train. Gymnasts is the least challenging part. You will get them. You will get them from anywhere. Again, there are no teams in the state of Texas. There's demand of a lot of Texan gymnasts who frankly wouldn't make it anywhere else. They'll go to Utica. They literally went to Utica. Like they got a couple of gyms in Tex from Texas at Utica. That's all the way up in upstate New York. But yeah, but it's real far. Yeah, <laughs> and I should mention uh, what are some other ones? Institutional support. Um, you need to have that, and not every school is going to have that. I'm looking specifically at Lindenwood right now because they're cutting the program, despite them having their own practice facility. They use gym quarters, which is a large gym in St. Louis. Um, they have good fan support and they are the reigning defending USAC national champions. So you institutional support is a massive driver of um, whether or not you can even have one. So yeah, that that's one of those things where like you can raise all the money in the world and still not have an administration that cares about you. It really is a shame to see that kind of happen. I do want to ask this question, and you can take it in two parts. So what is the impact of gymnastics overall when these HBCUs start these teams? And what is the impact of schools, the two of them that we've talked about, so Fisk and Talladega, adding the gymnastics program to their collection of students? Uh, let's start with the first one, but like, what is the impact overall of Fisk and Talladega starting teams? I mean, I can literally just take what Aaliyah Reed Hammond told me because she basically said, like, now girls don't have to make the decision of doing gymnastics or going to an HBCU. They can do both. They can have that experience. There are kids who will see teams who are just who look like them, a team that looks like them, not like a person who looks like them. Like the the there is a recent feature in uh I don't remember what newspaper it is. It's in Missouri because it's on Missouri. Missouri has the most black gymnasts of any team that is not either Fisk or Talladega. Um, but even then, I don't even think it's half the team. Like, this is a team that looks... In a sport that is so overwhelmingly 
dominated by white women. So uh, this year, uh, every year the SEC has SEC legends for women's sports. And this year, Alabama is honoring Dee Foster. She was the first black gymnast, I believe, in Alabama history. And she ended up winning a national championship. And she started on the team in 1993. Yeah, think about how long that team, that the NCAA started sponsoring it in 1982. It took that long. Um, Simone Biles has been like an example of someone who has really, or actually Gabby Douglas before her, let's be very honest and give her her flowers. And by the way, Gabby Douglas is back y'all. So if you were a fan of her, you can be a fan of her again. She'll be competing at winter classics this month. Um, yeah, you're seeing an explosion of that now. And now they got a place to go. That's I I'm okay. I'm a white dude. I don't want to say this in a way that's going to be coming off as a white dude talking about HBCUs in a way that he doesn't understand. Um, so please make sure I don't, Blue. Um, but it's like a place where they can feel... I'm, I know how to put it the right way, but it's it's not like going to an Alabama. It's not like going to an Arkansas. It's not like going to an LSU. It is going to a place that is surrounded by people who are, you know... I, I, I'm trying not to say the thing I want to say because it feels wrong. Sure. Let me, let me kind of, let me kind of walk you through it. So I went to two HBCUs. I went to Norfolk State University and then I went to Howard University. Uh, I, I have degrees from both and I am currently working on my PhD in physics at Howard University. When I got to Norfolk State University 20 years ago, I stepped on campus and the chair of the physics department at Norfolk State University was a Norfolk State College alumni. Uh, and so I was able to see a black man not just teaching physics, not just studying physics, but doing physics at the highest possible level. He had been at Norfolk State, no exaggeration, 50 years, and is still currently teaching at Norfolk State University, he is in his late 80s. Jeff, you'll appreciate this. He did his master's Woo! at one Purdue University. So um, when I talk about the HBCU experience, I, I try to paint it this way. If you go to an Ivy League school, in which I want to point out, Ben politely corrected me, there are eight teams in the Ivy League, not 10, which I said last week. At those eight schools, which have recently stopped using affirmative action to characterize who should be matriculating into their institutions, took all the African-American students and added them up at all eight schools, there are fewer African-American students at Howard University. There are fewer African-American students than North Carolina A&T. There are fewer African-American students at these eight schools combined than FAMU, Florida Agricultural Mechanical University. That is not to say that they are undeserving to going to these Ivy League institutions. What it is to say is that it's unlikely they'll be admitted. And so when you have a school like Fisk and you have a school like Tal specifically Talladega, a school that is in the middle of nowhere but continues to educate African-American students at a high rate, you can bring students who would otherwise be denied the education they're seeking to a place that will give them a quality education. And so I think it's wonderful to see something like this happen. If, it, if I could have my druthers and they said, Blue, you're now the czar of women's gymnastics, which I would then say, no, go pick somebody else. But if they said, you get to pick the next place, I would tell them, go to Spelman. You want to get, get big name women and you want to get them involved? 
go to Spelman. Go start a program there. And then watch how many African-American women who didn't even go to Spelman are now supporting African-American women in gymnastics. I can tell. in gymnastics. I and so, sorry to interrupt, but like I can tell you from knowing several members of the LSU team, like Kaya Johnson is an amazing human being in every single way. But when we talked a couple of years ago, like around the time, this is right when this hadn't even, I don't think had competed a single meet yet. And she was already talking about wanting to get involved with them when she's done gymnastics as potentially a coach. Like Alondra Maldonado is a fifth year senior who transferred to Talladega from Iowa State. She went from a Big 12 school to a school that had never competed before. Um, and she's Puerto Rican. Um, so like, you know, still like there's that experience there, but like this is a huge draw for people. Um, the two head coaches, and I should at least give them their day, not at least in part because I actually met Talladega's head coach. Um, so this head coach is Corinne Tarv. I want to get her name right. I'm probably going to get this wrong. So apologies in advance. Sorry. I know it's Corinne Tarver. She's the first black all around champion in NCAA history. She competed at Georgia. She won it in 1987. The other um, is Asia Sims Fletcher. She was a legendary gymnast at Bama. Um, I happened to meet her. Um, she helped me out when uh, me and Jamelia were having technical issues <laughs> because, you know, what interview can go without technical issues? Um, she's awesome. Uh, she is a more recent, I think she was there in like 07. She's a member of at least one national championship team. Um, yeah, but like they're getting black women to coach black women. Huge, huge deal. I want to point this out, uh, to your point, Fisk University has coach Tarver, coach India Anderson as the assistant coach, coach Russell Warfield, coach Joanna Young, Coach Nia Mack, and then another trainer and team manager in Nuria Mack. So you have six African Americans participating as coaches or trainers on this team. And then the highest concentration of African American women doing gymnastics at the collegiate level. When I try to tell people why HBCUs have an affinity for one another, I always pull back and say, well, think about just Norfolk State. <laughs> By I went to Norfolk State. Norfolk State would not exist without Virginia Union University, which is a small private seminary in Richmond, Virginia, that said, Hampton, we're older than you. We help you get started by providing professors. You need to start a school in Norfolk, which has a large collection of African-Americans. The city is over 50% at the time of its founding in 1935 and 60% by the time I get there in 2004. And they say, no, we don't need a school. You have Hampton Institute. We don't need any other schools. And Virginia Union says, we're going to start a school. And so they start this small school with 17 students and five teachers in 1935 in a single room in the YMCA. And then in 1936, the YMCA is burned down. And then after the YMCA burns down, Virginia Union and Virginia State put some money together and they buy a golf course that's not being used by the former landed gentry and say, you weren't allowed to walk these grounds. You could only go to this one space. They call it the White House. And they said, you could only be in that space. And they clean golf balls. And they said, we're going to put a school here. 
and then it becomes a part of Virginia State, the land grant of the Commonwealth of Virginia. And now that school is bigger than both Hampton and Virginia State. Because Virginia State held our hand and took us into the future. That connection is what forms these connections between all the HBCUs. So when we say someone is in need, we all get together and say, how can we best assist to get this school where they need to be? And that's where you see Talladega having people go there and say, I've never even been to a Talladega, Alabama, but I want to make sure it exists. Or they don't know it beyond the movie. And, so, And not only that, like go ahead, the resources that they got when both schools started their programs. Um, I think Florida went out and they reached out to Fisk when they started and said, hey, that, I think they either donated leotards or they donated like equipment. Um, a lot of schools, when they announced that they were going to start it, and same thing with Talladega, they said, how can we help? Because I think that idea of, you know, there's this community that exists so much in the sport of gymnastics too, um, just as someone who got into it because of... so. This is a great time, any, to tell the story of, I'm an outsider to the sport. I was never a gymnast. I never got into it. And then one night, LSU decided to give away a bobblehead of former gymnast <laughs> and legend Sarah Finnegan. Is is it a creepy bobblehead? Uh, you can go find a picture of it online and you can figure out for yourself. But you could lure me into a dark alley with a bobblehead or a snow globe. Don't take this as advice, people who want to lure me into a dark alley. But I'm just saying. Uh, and so I went. LSU played Auburn that night. So, um, yeah, funny how we were talking about this the day after LSU played Auburn. But I went and I enjoyed it. And I didn't know everything about it. And yes, LSU won. But I went back to the next meet. And they lost. And I enjoyed it just about as much. And I started realizing a lot of people enjoy this. Thousands of people enjoy this. I want to be a part of this thing. Thousands of people enjoy there's a postscript to that little story. I've asked her younger sister, Aaliyah, who is now a an Olympic qualifier for the Philippines, um, what she thinks about the uh, bobblehead, and she agrees it's creepy, and apparently they're all over her house. Um, I don't know how you live that, but you do you. Um, yeah, so this community, it tends to come together if you need to know things about like, hey, I don't understand how this thing works. I can ask that question and people will definitely tell me. Um, there are resources online to help you get to know it. And when teams need help, they will get it. When Lindenwood announced that they were going to cut their gymnastics program, a lot of teams wore, uh, you know, the gymnasts, they have to braid their hair or put it into buns uh, to keep it out of their faces. And they would wear gold ribbons on them. Uh, in support of them and they you know try and help raise awareness for it to try and save them and the effort unfortunately failed but um still it was like this whole thing of coming together because it is a family and you can see that like losing a team means a lot um it was only in the first time uh because unfortunately in the in recent history this is a sport that it's because i mentioned all those problems it's slowly dying in certain places. Now, it because of the three new teams, it's actually been offset uh, just this year. It's been offset. Uh, the number of teams that were lost has been offset in just one year, um, which is awesome to see. Um, hopefully, that's the trend going forward, but who knows with the way the NCAA is going. But that idea of community exists in this sport about as much as you can possibly get because everyone's been through those rough patches 
And it's that want to feel, I don't know, belonging. Because this is a niche sport. It really is. Um, despite the numbers I've cited, um, women's volleyball will get a lot more traction. Women's basketball obviously gets a lot more traction. Softball gets a lot more traction. It wasn't until a few years ago when this, when the championship was broadcast on live TV, when Georgia went through their five P they had to, they got the broadcast two weeks later on tape delay and they would edit out a lot of the routines. This is a sport that was not considered to be something that people cared about, despite the fact that Olympic gymnastics has been a huge viewership thing. The other three years during the regular season, when there's actually amazing stuff going on all across the country, for some reason, people didn't see that as valuable. And now you're seeing, and so that mentality has continued through it. Yeah, that's interesting because it is a very popular youth participation sport. It's very popular to watch during the Olympics, but kind of there isn't filling in that gap. And it's also, you know, difficult if it's something that you can participate in as a youth athlete, that they're not being that obvious pathway into continuing that, you know, there being more programs helps more athletes just compete in it. It helps you know, bridge that pathway as well as there being more programs also means, as you mentioned earlier, you don't have to make sacrifices in the kind of college you want to go to to pursue it at the college level. You can more easily choose what you think is the right college for you rather than just being like, okay, where are the few places that have gymnastics? Yeah, because... No, excellent points. Yeah, because when you mentioned that, like, through my... um, I've, I've talked to over 50 different gymnasts and I've not gone to the major schools. I've gone to Ashley Cromer at Ursinus chose Ursinus, not just because of gymnastics, but because she wants to be a Spanish teacher. And she was looking at the schools that had gymnastics and that would allow her to be a Spanish teacher. And Ursinus was like the only school that would really put her on that path. Um, Sarah Wozniak, who is a published research, she's, written something that's been published with the Foreign Policy Research Institute. She wanted to do foreign policy uh, stuff, and she went to William and Mary because they have a really, really good foreign policy program there. Um, for I'm trying to think of somebody else. Somebody I know, Nicole Lonsky, uh, Ithaca, I think she went there because, because a lot of them want to go into like physical therapy and stuff, and they happen to have a really good streamlined program for that. Um, like... It really is that you kind of sort of have to make the sacrifice of, okay, if I want to do this specific thing, what gymnastics school will let me do it? Because there's only 87 schools. That's not that many. It is a real shame to see that a sport that should be more popular isn't. And so I, I hope that we can see more impact of this sport and I do want to finish on this question of, and it's one of the, the things that we, we really want to know, what is the impact for these two schools of adding women's gymnastics, both Talladega College and Fisk University? What do you mean by for the schools? So what I'm asking is, how has attendance looked for them? How has adding these two, these, these two schools, adding this sport changed how other institutions are viewing them how 
students are viewing the institution itself. I know you've said multiple times students are considering it, that they'll be able to do both be an HBCU student and do gymnastics. It's made people who are five-star athletes come to them. How is this impacting Talladega? Or it could be too soon to know because it's only been two years for Fisk, and this is still the first season for Talladega. I think it's too soon to know the full impact. You will need. I think that the main way we're going to find out is when that first class of Fisk that came in graduates. When that full first class graduates, it's what has the impact been over the four years that they've been there? Um, who have they gotten in? I think that the impact will be seen in the coaching ranks. Again, I said Kaya wants to work there. I think we're going to start seeing as a lot of these athletes go into coaching, those are going to be opportunities for them that are invaluable. Because if you want to, like, there are only 87 schools, like I said, and this is a great place to do it. There are very, there was going to be, uh, and it got canceled because stupid weather, the uh, meet on MLK Day of six teams, and they all had one thing in common, their head coach is a black woman. It was going to be the two HBCUs, um, Iowa State, who's coached by Ashley Miles Grieg, um, Brown, William and & Mary, and Rutgers. I believe that's six. I might have screwed up the numbers there. Um, either way, uh, yeah, like there, that's it. Like there's only like six, it's not many. And is like, there's more men coaching the sport than there are like, I don't know if there's more men coaching the sport than there are women, but there's a lot of men coaching the sport. Um, which is unfortunately true of many women's sports, but I was like, that's very true in a lot of women's it, sports. It's, and it's one thing I've there are some remember. bad impacts. Oh yeah. This is oh, one thing. I've there can be some really bad people doing that. This is gymnastics. Do not get started on that. Trust me. And it ain't just men. It ain't just men, unfortunately. Um, Because, you know, <laughs> what did I have to deal with over the summer? One of the premier programs having to get rid of their head coach due to some allegations made that were pretty serious. Um, It's unfortunate that that happens. But unfortunately, I've you have to you come to like you have, you, you're thankful that at least there was something done. You get thankful that something was done because you know what? That doesn't always happen, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> and Un some of those people fester uh, in they, sports. Sometimes they even, uh, sometimes the people that get alleged to have had the problem things get promoted from a smaller school to a bigger school, which is something that actually happened. It's, I, I hate to bring this up. Uh, it's, it's one of the things I hate to bring up, but. This is what happened with Clemson, and it's why a lot of gymnastics fans are really, really hesitant to support them. Their head coach has unfortunately been accused of some uh, things regarding... I don't want to talk about it. It feels bad to talk about, but I don't want to leave it without that. It's been some bad stuff publicly. Um, and so it's and that's the unfortunate thing. It's like, yeah, it's this great new program. It's at a power of high school. That's what happened since 2003. Why'd you have to hire her? That was the that was what everyone said. It's, you had to hire sure, her. You couldn't have gone anywhere else. Have been, It'd have been nice if you did. I hope and pray. I hope and pray sure, and that things have changed. That. But I hope you can only hope for the best. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and again, we can question what happens with other coaches, but I say we trend positive here. And, you know, we have two new HBCU teams in the last three years. 
with the hope of more in the next uh, coming year. Yep. So very excited about it. Uh, I will get on my, my I'll pull some of the nice strings. I will, I, I will mention that if you want to really push for that, um, Brown Girls Do Gymnastics is the organization that has worked uh, to get these two programs um, and they're working to get more. So um, I would highly recommend people check them out uh, because they are the organization that's going to be getting whenever the third team, it feels like a matter of when, not if. Um, when that third team happens. Yeah. I mean, it, the there is a lot of momentum That's and especially the seeing the success of the first two. I think the Talladega success this year of, Oh wait, not only can they do well, they can win. They can beat established teams that, yeah, they may be lower level, but they're still beating them. And that, I think it means a little bit more to people who don't know how the sport works, who doesn't, who don't realize that wins and losses aren't the main thing, it's actually the scores. But when they see first team to win, and then they see, oh, they did that, oh, wow, so they're not just competing, they're beating. I feel like that's going to be something that people are going to start taking notice of. Go ahead. Absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it, it is good to see. succinct let's move on to our dessert jeff a new video game trailer has dropped for ea sports college football 2025 waited 10 years for this i am someone who has played a lot of ncaa college football games i have actually played every college football game since 1994 on the sega genesis bill walsh football was my first one i the trailer was a little i think it was bare bones i think it was great a <laughs> guy sewing a uniform in the middle of the coliseum but I, I didn't know what was what, what are we doing here? And they didn't really show any gameplay. They said, you'll get all that in May. Jeff, what did you think? What did you see? And then uh, we're going to ask Ben if he likes video games. Yeah, so it's, it's a teaser more than a trailer, but they are including some really interesting kind of behind the scenes stuff in terms of how they're producing a lot of the animation, how they're digitizing a lot of um, school assets, things like mascots and stadiums that are a lot of the behind the scenes work to building these games, particularly when they have not had um, for the past couple of generations of consoles, a college football game. So a lot of getting all of those details that you really want to see in the game as you're playing it, getting those right. They seem to be putting in a lot of the work to doing that. And it is a big process. I don't know where they are on their development cycle on, what in terms of actual gameplay is ready to show. And I think it it makes sense that they're not showing things until it's really ready for prime time uh, to see. But I think it it looks like they're putting in a lot of the work to make this really good or at least look good. Yeah, I. So I have a view of things uh College football is not professional football. And that's that's true no matter how you consume it. It's true at the video game level. Um, I don't personally know what they're going to produce yet because I haven't seen any gameplay. That's that's I got to see it, and then I got to play it to give you a better understanding of how things look and how things feel. Um, I want to ask Ben. Ben, are you into video games in any capacity? And if you are, have you played an NCAA video game from EA? I have two of the, I've played, um, I think it was 04 that I have, or 03 for the PS2, because I got it when I bought a PS2. Um, and then I have the uh, most recent version. So I've played, I've played them a bit. 
I played them extensively when I was younger and I played more video games. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I mean, did I play them like a normal person would? No, <laughs> I, 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 I tried to see what stupid stuff I could do with them. I created a, a guy named Sir Kicks a lot, who is a 99 <laughs> overall everything kicker. Um, because I thought it was funny. I think it's a great name. I think that everyone should create a Sir Kicks a lot. Um, although that's just Tori Taylor, so maybe, maybe, maybe I don't need to create one. I think Sir Kicks a lot has a <laughs> now, now, just very dumb and funny things where like I would put all the like in I think it was 03 you had the FCS teams like you had the actual teams not just you did yeah and so like I, what they I would were. do is I would yeah. sub them in for the uh, FBS teams and just have them duel it out just see like what would happen there um that was fun but like for the new game I'm gonna be honest uh I have low expectations sadly <laughs> that's good I, i'll be genuinely candid with you that is good um i again i i don't want to madden clone which why i think them delaying the game gives me some hope that they didn't just take the madden game and stick uh, a shiny pane of ncaa on it but uh by delaying it at least 12 months it does feel like they are just creating this from the ground up and putting scans of the stadiums in and going to get real jerseys that look the way they're supposed to and being authentic, I think that matters more for people than I personally think it should. I personally think the game should play well and that you should be able to run a college playbook. You know, just so you all know, when we do the when we do an online dynasty and I'm out here running orbit motion to see what kind of defense you have so that I can torch you, that's coming in hot. I, I do want to ask though, uh, Jeff, what is the first thing you're gonna do? Well, I am going to assuming I can do some schedule customization to make sure that for whatever season it is covering what should be the 2024 season so i shouldn't do, need to do too much um i'm gonna beat notre dame on the way to a purdue national title undefeated notre dame people or excuse me undefeated notre dame season ends in dramatic well it won't even get started because i think we play them in like week three or week two they're pretty early in our schedule i think we play them and then fly out to oregon state in back-to-back -back weeks which i will attempt to be doing uh as a fan, so let's see how that goes. But why, what, wait a minute, just just a question. Um, why? Sure. Why did they do this? Why what? Who in their it's right a, mind said, you know, what we, we do should do because after they are the hard. Notre Dame game, Not we should go to easy. Oregon State. We should go to Corvallis because we haven't tortured ourselves enough. I I don't make the schedules, what? but. It, I will say Oregon State is a school that I think it makes some sense for Purdue to play as it's a similar school just in a different location um, where it was both both ag schools. And and I think it, it is a cool thing to play similar schools that are in different regions. We played Virginia Tech last year. That's also very much a, a kindred spirit and kind of an ag and, and engineering school. But it does mean that some of the schedules can be a little bit difficult, which Purdue is not a consistent uh, program, so it does mean that the impact in terms of win loss and at the end of the year may not be great. But at the same time, I think there's an element of if you know that you're not going to consistently be good, do you just want to schedule fun? And, and and I think similar schools that you can interact with with alumni that are similar to you is fun. It's true. 
as an LSU baseball fan, I have to say ben, that um, I dislike the Oregon State baseball program because they keep getting matched up with us. It's a weird thing. I, see, it's the weirdest thing in the world. Like, if if y'all don't know this, it's been like eight times in the uh, NCAA tournament. Like, they just keep putting us together. Like, I don't know what it is. It's really weird. Ben, I'm going to ask you this. Uh, if I got you a free copy of the game, what's the... Well, I don't have an Xbox uh, One or a PS4, so I'm going to probably need that too. But if I were to have the game, uh, if... I, I will, I will I answer you. your question the way you are intending to. If I had the game, um, after creating Sir Kicks a lot again, because obviously I have to do that, um, gotta keep the tradition rolling. Uh, I would probably go and create a custom team of some sort, just to see what the customizational options are. I want to mess around with those. See, like, okay, so what can I do to make this a more personalized thing? Um, that'd be fun. I think it's a great answer. I, I, I think I think the customization and building what you want to build is a good thing to do in these games. Um, I'm going to reconnect with some old friends. We ran a decade-long dynasty uh, on old hardware that we were trying to keep going for the past 12 years now. Um, I have won multiple national championships and have schemed multiple people off of the field. Uh, a couple of my friends, they're going to hate this um, because uh, they're, gonna, they're never going to hear this, so I'm going to tell it anyway. But one of our friends... Several of them are alumni of the University of Central Florida, and they play as the gold. One of them played as the Golden Knights, and he would run just the wildest offense that he could find. And lucky for him, he lined up against me and my team, and uh, we faced off at the beginning of the season. I think it was first or second game, and he lost. And he lost in a belligerent way. I mean, it was like he ran that wild offense, and I think we had four pick sixes. Not an exaggeration. Um, we then went on and went undefeated. But his team went 13-1 and one and played, and this is old BCS rules, for the national championship, which he won. And everybody was upset about this. Everybody. So all of the user games that he had, except one, he was able to get a victory in all those games. So he went 4-1 and one against users and said, nobody has a reason to be mad that they got the, that, that I got a national championship. And I said, I got a reason to be mad. I went undefeated. I didn't get to play in a national championship game. They screwed me. I went 13-0. And he, well, he. Uh, that's not my fault that you didn't get to play. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take your championship. Claim it, Blue. Um, Claim I'm it. Gonna call you a, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to call you a fraud. Out of curiosity, Blue, who was your team? Uh, the next season, I, um, I had, uh, because of the coaching carousel, I went from Hawaii uh, to Missouri and then from Missouri, I went to Alabama, and I was at the university. So, so UCF um, uh, yes. beat out Alabama. I yes. okay, okay. I think I love that though that Alabama got yes. shafted for UCF. <laughs> it was so bad. I got shafted hard. It was so bad. Worth oh, it, man. It was so awful. And so the next season, the next season, I went thirteen and zero and won the national championship. But uh, it was pretty bad because he just decided. After that, uh, he went and took the Michigan State job because he got offered the Michigan State job, um, and he went uh, he went ten and two, and both losses were to me because we played at the beginning of the season, and then we played in the national championship, and he lost in the national championship. So, I got my get back. Um, 
we would have so much fun in a game. Uh, one year played as Georgia, won a national championship, went thirteen and zero with Rutgers. Got got screwed out of the game on that one too. Uh, had so much fun over the years, just playing the game and loving it. Um, and so. I'm going to get back on the field and scheme my old friends off of the field, and there's nothing they can do about it. I'm also going to write furious letters for EA Sports to put HBCUs into the game, um, and they're going to do it. They're just not going to do Norfolk State, and that's going to make me mad, um, which has the largest on-campus HBCU football. It's bigger, bigger than some MAC stadiums. Like, it's an FBS-sized stadium. Correct. Correct. Um, it is bigger than the FBS team that is in our small team. It is the ODU Old Dominion University Monarch Butterflies, who has a smaller football stadium than Norfolk State University. Um, I'm going to ask Jeff, what was your favorite NCAA game that has been played? I don't remember the one I which which version I had in college. It was probably like oh nine or oh eight. It was a couple years out of date when I bought it. Because I was in college and I just I'm like, oh, this is like five bucks. I'll buy it. Uh, but played the heck out of that. And yeah, I I turned Purdue into a, like an Alabama level dominant team, uh, which was fun when we were just kind of scraping to bowl games and or Daryl Hazeld. So, uh, yeah, it, when, when you can have it in the video game, you're like a dynasty. And in real life, you're one in 11 and your one win was barely beating Indiana State. Yeah, the game's great. Yes. Ben, what's your favorite? Uh, the latest. Well, I I mean, the, the more recent one. Again, I've only played like two of them, so. 14. Yes, the 2013 edition. Named 2014, yes. With Denard Robinson. Shoelace. Denard Robinson on the cover. Um, My favorite, Uh, I have a few. Uh, 09, because this is where our online dynasty started. So our online dynasty started in 2008 the summer of 2008, and we played every year since then. Um, uh, I loved 2014 because I played it a lot, but I also loved 2013 because it had Barry Sanders on the cover, and so they put an emphasis on running backs being good so you could find a scat back and then just, like, give him a few years, and then he is just going to dominate because if you hit, if you try to hit stick him, you're going to miss. He's just – you're going to miss him, not like – bounce off of him you're just gonna miss him you you gotta go for the you gotta hit get him up tie wrap him up take him down um i will say this though my favorite college football game um is either bill walsh college football or national championship college football on the sega uh because you could just get in there and if you hit a spin move with the right player you just wouldn't go down and then he's just streaking down the sideline for a touchdown because college <laughs> football is awesome and we all love plays that has a busted coverage um and so uh I, I'm, I'm very excited for the game. Can't wait. Uh, we're going to try to do an online dynasty uh, in our Discord. That is the Moon Crew Discord. Uh, I'm going to get Jeff a P, an Xbox. Uh, I, I have a, we have a PS5 in the house, I will say. Hopefully this Fingers crossed there is, cro there will be, this should not be that difficult to do in the year 2024, even though it somehow is. I know it is. It is it's impossible. EA will say it's impossible. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to invite Ben to come play with us. It's going to be great. Um, I'm going to thank Ben for joining us. Ben, uh, thank you for your expertise. Thank you for being with us today. Is there anything you want to plug and anything you want to leave the people with? Uh, first of all, um, watch NCAA Gymnastics. We are reaching the point of the season. 
that I think I think if there's any time I could come on to evangelize about this, uh, this would be the point of the season you really need to start watching because this is the push for the postseason. This is when teams really are trying to get their scores high enough to make it into the postseason. If you want to have any idea of how things are going there, there's a website called roadtonationals.com. That's all one word. Um, that place is, hi, do you like data? You will get all of the data there. Um, scores for teams, scores for individuals, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, it's a really good resource to uh, just have the numbers. Um, if you want to learn about the actual sport, I highly recommend collegegymnews.com. They are covering it all year. They've got some good resources there. Um, if you want to learn about the gyms themselves, I highly recommend you check out my show, uh, which is Chalk Talk. You can find that um, on Spotify. It's Chalk Talk with Ben Schluter. You can find every single interview I've done, over 50 of them, all in one feed. So you can start at the beginning, start wherever you want. Honestly, it's your decision. Uh, you can also find, I do feature stories on the gymnasts. I don't just, you know, do an interview there. I also write about them beyond gymnastics with Aliyah Reed Hammond. Did you know that she is also a nail tech? She does nails for people. Um, it was a really interesting story to write about, despite the fact that I have no expertise in that area. And I've done a ton of stories on uh, people who are a world ninja champion. A rodeo queen in South Dakota. I wrote about uh, Sarah Wozniak's uh, policy thing and how she did that. Um, Ashley Cromer, I wrote about how she actually did a trip to Spain. Uh, there are plenty other stories you can check out there. Um, I will be working to set up actually a little payment thing so that if you want to support me monetarily, you can do that because um, I know that'd be nice. You can also check out my work covering LSU gymnastics on andthevalleyshook.com. I'm the primary LSU gymnastics uh cover there. Um, oh yeah. You can also find me on Twitter at Ben S L a sports. And I want to make sure that I we will have that right, but the, in the show notes in the, in the <laughs> yeah, please. Uh, yeah. Cause I, I randomly tweet out stuff, not just about LSU gym, but about every other team. If I can find it, I'm constantly finding random little tidbits about, you know, wins and losses or scoring records. Um, so you can check me out there. Uh, if you want to learn more about the sport, I'm always open to answer any questions that you have. Um, so yeah. And thank you, by the way, for letting me come on here and talk about this thing. I have been dying to do this with someone at some point, uh, because I love this sport to death. I have been so lucky to find a sport that I never could have thought. Who would have thought that a bobblehead could have brought me so many connections at the end of the day? Ben, quick question. Where can people find those feature stories? They can find those on Substack. Um, I, I should have mentioned that um, on the Substack for Chalk Talk. Um, yeah, that's where those are. Uh, you can sort them by conference. I have everything sorted by conference. If you want to just look at the NCGA schools, oh, they just happen to have a tag for that. So you can find those too. Um, so yeah. Thank you, Ben. It's been a, really a pleasure to talk to you. You're invited back at any time, and I, I will see you in the Discord. I'm going to jump over to Jeff. Jeff, is there anything? Yeah, you want I did some schedule looking, um, and I have no idea what time zone this is saying it's in. I don't know if it's a time zone that my computer is technically set to, the one I'm sitting in, or local, so something. But Monday, which I know some folks have off as a holiday, Utah is at UCLA, which 
If you want a great meet, oh, yes. I think that that'll shape up for that. It says at 5 p.m. I don't know if that's Eastern, Central, or Pacific. Let me double check <laughs> for you, actually, because it is on the Pac-12 network. It shows right wherever I'm looking that it's on ESPNU. That doesn't make so maybe by what the website I'm, I'm looking at is wrong which is fine but, but may, hey maybe it is on each uh, it says here that it's 4 30 central so uh might be four it might be five o'clock ish um i don't know i think it's 2 30 p.m pacific though is the start time for that that is a massive rivalry um and also i already talked about nye reed um if she goes on floor you need to watch it because that is like that went viral when it debuted in December. She is an absolutely amazing gymnast, and uh, that routine is going to blow your mind in so many ways. I am genuinely looking forward to it. Uh, as a member of the Divine Nine, I am very excited to see how she pulls it off. Um, I will say this. It is now officially football's offseason, so it is time for you to find something to do with your free time. Go watch those, those ladies doing gymnastics. Get out there and find a new hobby, get some new books to read, do some travel, go shovel your snow. I live in the Commonwealth and got a bunch of it, so I've got to get out there and clear my, my streets because the street sweepers don't come down here in Virginia to clear the cars off. But now's the time to really take your step back and unplug from the game, find a new game, and recharge. These nine months are going to go by quick. And the next thing you know, you're going to look up and summer is going to be turning into fall and you're going to be like, oh man, I got to get my tickets for the season. And I don't want that to happen to you. I want you to enjoy the off season. So take some time for yourself. Take some time for your family. And make sure you get out there and And as always, don't forget to be